The Word of God, the Holy Bible, is a treasure and a gift beyond compare. Every passage of it points to a marvelous truth that God's love for man impelled him to step out of eternity and unite with his creation in order to redeem him from sin. Jesus Christ is both the author and subject of this precious word. Join us at the Superior Word each week as we search out this wonderful gift in search of Christ Jesus. Psalm 100, a psalm of thanksgiving. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and his truth endures to all generations. We are going to get into Deuteronomy chapter 4. So if you want to turn there, it's Deuteronomy 4 verses 32 through 40. Okay? It's entitled, There is no other. For ask now concerning the days that are past, which were before you, since the day God created man on the earth, and ask from one end of heaven to the other whether any great thing like this has happened or anything like it has been heard. Did any people ever hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of the fire as you have heard and live? Or did God ever try to go and take for himself a nation from the midst of another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders, by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and by great terrors according to all that the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord himself is God. There is none other besides him. Out of heaven he let you hear his voice, that he might instruct you. On earth he showed you his great fire, and you heard his words out of the midst of the fire. And because he loved your fathers, therefore he chose their descendants after them, and he brought you out of Egypt with his presence, with his mighty power, driving out from before you nations greater and mightier than you to bring you in to give you their land as an inheritance as it is this day therefore know this day and consider it in your heart that the lord himself is god in heaven above and on the earth beneath there is no other you shall therefore keep his statutes and his commandments which i command you today that it may go well with you and with your children after you and that you may prolong your days in the land which the lord your god is giving you for all time. In Romans 9 through 11, Paul speaks of the situation with Israel in relation to the Lord. He speaks of their rejection of Christ. He speaks of what the state of those who rejected him is. He speaks of God's sovereignty over what occurred and what their rejection of him means for Gentiles and for individual Jews who believe in him. He then continues with how their rejection came about, their need for the imputed righteousness of Christ rather than relying on deeds of the law, and how they too can be saved, even despite their continuing hard-heartedness. At the beginning of chapter 11, Paul opens with, I say then, has God cast away his people? His answer, certainly not. He then further explains what their rejection of Christ means for the Gentiles. But he also goes on to say what their acceptance of Christ will mean. He finishes out that portion of his epistle with the following words, which form our text verse. For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, 
lest you should be wise in your own opinion that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved as it is written. The deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But concerning election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For as you were once disobedient to God, yet have now obtained mercy through their disobedience, even so these also have now been disobedient, that through the mercy shown you, they also may obtain mercy. For God has committed them all to disobedience that he might have mercy on all. Paul speaks of Israel being beloved for the sake of the fathers. It is exactly what Moses will refer to in our passage today. He then says that the gifts and the calling are irrevocable. For replacement theologians, as well as for those unable to learn what Paul means, but I repeat myself, it is a word meaning not able to be changed, reversed, or recovered. God has promised. He has called Israel, and that will not change. Israel's unfaithfulness to the Lord will not in any way affect the Lord's promises and his faithfulness. This is a great lesson for each of us who has been saved by Christ, but who struggle with all of the things that we as humans struggle with. We may be unfaithful, but God will never revoke what he has granted to us through a simple act of faith. If you have never received Jesus, stick around for the next 40 minutes or so for a great sermon. Yes, it will be great because it is based on God's word. And at the end, I'll tell you the simple path to salvation. But in case your meeting with God is less than 40 minutes away, I'll give you a short and quick preview. Believe that Christ died for your sins and accept that. This is the central point of all of scripture, Jesus. The law of Moses is merely a stepping stone leading to him. It's all to be found in his superior word. And so let's turn to that precious word once again, and may God speak to us through his word today, and may his glorious name ever be praised. I've got a couple of thoughts for you today. The first is from one end of heaven to the other. It's verses 32 through 34. The words of Deuteronomy 4, 32 through 40 are a summary thought for Israel to consider and to live by. It is an amazingly profound portion of scripture, which would be appropriate to copy by every member of the Israeli assembly and then to place in a centrally located part of the house where everyone who came in could see it, reflect on it, and pay heed to it. Moses is going to reiterate many of the thoughts that he has presented to Israel so far in chapter 4. He has conveyed to them the need to keep the commandments of the Lord. He will repeat that in verse 40. He has shown that the Lord destroyed many in Israel for idolatry. He will warn that they can expect more of this also in verse 40. He has spoken of the great wisdom to be found in the statutes and judgments of the Lord. In keeping these, they may call upon him when needed because he is near to them. He will refer to this bond in verse 34. He spoke of receiving the law and what it was like when it was received. He will refer to this again in verse 36. He warned against idolatry among the people and the consequences of not paying heed. He will speak of the contrast of that in verse 39, that the Lord is God and that there is none other. He is referred to being brought out of the bondage of Egypt. He will refer to this again in verse 37. And he has spoken of the faithfulness of the Lord despite the anticipated unfaithfulness of Israel. 
he will speak of this unbreakable covenant bond, at least on his side of it, again in verse 34. In just nine verses, Moses will open up a panorama of thought which extends from the creation of man even through all of the future history of the world. And it extends out from Israel in all directions over the entire earth. What is said speaks of the eternal nature of God and therefore of the eternal and irrevocable nature of God's dealing with this particular people regardless as how they respond to him. In these words are the magnificent concepts of love, mercy, grace, and also of warning. Verse 32, For ask now concerning the days that are past. Kishe'al na leyamim rishonim. For inquire, I pray, today's first. Moses begins the thought imploring his audience, and therefore anyone who ever reads his words, to inquire into the events of time itself. That word is rishonim, and it signifies the former, first, or beginning. The idea here is that Moses is imploring his audience to diligently seek, even to the first times that were. But the context of what he is saying is based on the first word, ki, or for. The idea is connected to everything in the previous verses. If we start with verse 26 until this verse, we can get the idea of what Moses is conveying. I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day that you will soon utterly perish from the land which you cross over the Jordan to possess. You will not prolong your days in it, but will be utterly destroyed. And the Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. And there you will serve gods, the work of men's hands, wood and stone, which neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. But from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you are in distress and all these things come upon you in the latter days, when you turn to the Lord your God and obey his voice, for the Lord your God is a merciful God, he will not forsake you nor destroy you nor forget the covenant of your fathers which he swore to them. Moses has let Israel know that they are prone to wander and in that state they will be dispersed. They will be in a state of complete denial of the Lord, but in their distress of those times, they will seek him, and he will be found by them. And that for two reasons. One, he is merciful, and two, he has made a covenant with their fathers. This is what Moses' words are now based on, imploring Israel to seek even to the foundings of the world for a comparison to the proposition he will set before them. O Israel, seek to the days, verse 32 continues, which were before you. Asher hayu lefanecha which have been before you. Israel is sitting before Moses and before entry into Canaan. They are the same people who had been brought out of the bondage and offered Canaan many years earlier. They are the same who rejected that and thus were rejected. They are the same whose fathers had perished and who are now free from the stain of their guilt. However, Moses asked them to not only consider these times, but of all of the times before their calling, even, verse 32 continues, since the day that God created man on the earth, lemin hayom asher bara Elohim adam al haaretz, from the day which created Elohim, man on the earth. Moses' words now take his audience back to both the first page of scripture and to the sixth day of creation, where it is recorded, then God said, 
Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. The intent of the words is that if one could, they were to inquire of every human that ever existed since God created Adam and his wife. This is the diligence of the search that Moses is calling forth for those he is speaking to. And not only in a certain stream of men from Adam is this call made. Rather, verse 32 continues, and ask from one end of heaven to the other. Ule mikse hashamayim ve ad ketse hashamayim. And two from end of the heavens and end of the heavens. The translation heaven is incorrect. It does not refer to the place of God's dwelling, but the places of man's dwelling. The term means from anywhere on the planet, from north, south, east, or west, any location where man has been or is. The search is to be made from all men at any time and at any place in all of that time. Moses is speaking in absolute and all-inclusive terms for an answer to the proposition he now puts forth. Verse 32 going on, whether any great thing like this has happened. Has happened like this manner, the great, the this. What has ever come into being which is comparable to what I am asking you about now? Such a great thing is this. Tell me, please. I want to know. Verse 32 continues, Or anything like it has been heard. O hanishma kamohu. Or has been heard like it. Not only is the thing which has come to pass great, but there is nothing even comparable to it. Ear has not heard of such a thing. The sediment is almost identical to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians when referring to the gospel message, which is found in 1 Corinthians 2, 7 through 9. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom of God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Paul was not speaking about what lies ahead for the believer. Rather, he, like Moses, was referring to what God had done. God had sent Christ to die for the world in order to call out a people for himself, even from Israel and even from the Gentiles. Moses, however, speaks not of the new covenant in Christ and those who are a part of it, but rather of the Sinaitic covenant between the Lord and Israel. Of that covenant and the events which surrounded it, Moses now questions the people. The questions he will ask are based on the proposition he just set forth. Has anything such as this ever happened at any time since creation and among any people within creation? Verse 33, did any people ever hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of the fire? Hashama am kol Elohim medaber mitok haesh. Heard people voice of God speaking from midst the fire. The intent of the word, however, is probably did any people hear the voice of a God? In other words, what occurred at Sinai between the people and the Lord is completely unknown. No other people heard the voice of a God because there is no other God than the Lord God. 
then the people of Israel did, in fact, hear the voice of the Lord God out of the midst of the fire. Looking back on the record from Genesis, one would consider the visitation of God to be one of judgment. The earth was flooded at the time of Noah. All but eight perished. Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed, and only the family of Lot was spared. Nothing is recorded of God speaking, but his visitation was evident. Later, God appeared to Avram to make a covenant with him. In the cutting of that covenant, it said a smoking oven and a burning torch passed between the pieces of the animals when the covenant was made with him. At that time, the Lord spoke to Avram concerning the promise of the land. That event established the baseline of the land covenant with him and his descendants. But more revelation from God would come at Sinai. It is that which Moses is now referring to. When the Lord appeared to Israel at Mount Sinai, and as was further detailed in verse 12 of this chapter, he spoke out of the midst of the fire. They heard the voice. They were given the words of law, and they saw the terrifying sight of pending judgment, which could be anticipated from violating the law. And yet, verse 33 continues, as you have heard and live, ka'asher shamata ata vayahi, and has heard you, you, and live, one can feel the emphasis in Moses' words. You heard it, even you, and yet you are still alive. Has such a thing ever happened before? I think not, and yet it has happened to you. But as important as the emphasis on the address he is, there is also the fact that his words are in the second person singular. Moses is speaking to each individual person, it's true, even though it is to Israel as a collective whole. That's why it's in the singular. They are being set in contrast to any other people group. Knowing this, a point of immense importance can be elicited from what Moses is conveying. The people heard the words of the Lord God from the fire, and they lived. But the same words are conveyed in what Moses recorded. They are words of law. The law doesn't change because of the visible manifestation of the Lord or because of its lack. It is the same law that carries the same penalties. This is why the use of the second person singular is so important. Even if those of Israel die because of the law, and indeed many have died and had died, and many would continue to die because of it, Israel would continue to exist. It is a note of absolute surety for the collective in the face of the expectation of certain disaster for many individuals. Everybody see what I just said? He is speaking to a collective group in the singular. He is saying that I will never completely destroy you. Individuals will be destroyed, but Israel will always stand. Always. I don't understand how replacement theologians can come to the conclusions they do when it's so clear from the Hebrew. Verse 34. Or did God ever try to go and take for himself a nation from the midst of another nation? Oh, hanisa Elohim lavo la lo go mikerev go. Or did try God to come take for himself nation from midst nation. As before, this is more likely saying, did a God try? The Lord God, again, is being set against the false gods of all of the other nations. It is a rhetorical question concerning them. Thus, it demands a negative response. No other God has done such a thing. And next, to show the superlative nature of what Jehovah did, Moses speaks on, verse 34 continues, by trials. Moses begins a list of seven descriptors concerning their past. The first is Masah, meaning testing or trials. 
It is a new word being derived from the word nasa, which was just used in the previous clause where it asks, did God ever try? It is probably referring to the trials of the people prior to Moses' arrival. They were in hard bondage, they were afflicted and tested, and it said in Exodus 2, then the children of Israel groaned because of the bondage, and they cried out, and their cry came up to God because of the bondage. So God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob, and God looked upon the children of Israel, and God acknowledged them. Verse 34 continues, by signs. The otot, or signs, are things given to represent something else. The Lord gave Moses three signs to give to Israel, the rod which turned into a snake, the leprous hand, and the water which turned to blood. He also gave signs to Pharaoh concerning what would come upon them as the Lord accomplished his work. Next, verse 34 continues, by wonders, ube moftim, and in wonders. The mofet, or wonder, comes from yafa, or beautiful. Thus, it speaks of that which is conspicuous and amazing. The word wonders gives us the right sense. It speaks of the plagues which came upon the land, and yet it also speaks of the fact that Israel was spared at that time. While Egypt was destroyed, Israel survived through the plagues. Each time, it was a wonder in itself. Verse 34 continues, By war, by a mighty hand, and by an outstretched arm, and by great terrors. These are what the Lord brought upon Egypt and the Egyptians, especially after the Exodus. Each of them speaks of the power and splendor of the Lord through his great workings. He fought the battles, it was his strength that worked against Egypt, and it was his reach which devastated them while Israel remained safe. And it was his actions that brought terror upon the foe. All of this was, verse 34 continues, according to all that the Lord your God did for you in Egypt. It is in the second person plural, the only plurals in this section. The Lord is the God of the people, and he accomplished his work on their behalf accordingly. And he did it, verse 34 continues, before your eyes. It returns to the second person singular. Isn't that odd? You wonder why these things are happening. The collective eyes of the people are spoken as of one person. Israel beheld the marvels wrought by Jehovah his God. There is no other God. I know not one. Search in the highest heavens and there will be only me. Search below the earth until your days are done and no other God shall you see. I alone am the Lord your God, and to me alone shall you give your thanks and praise. Wherever on this earth you trod, only me shall you honor for all of your days. Trust in me and I will give you rest. I will lead you on soft paths, lush and green. In your soul you shall be forever blessed, because you have no other gods. To you only I am seen. Our second thought today, consider it in your heart. Verses 35 through 40. Verse 35. To you it was shown. The words are emphatic. Ata ha You, it was shown to you. Israel, no other beheld the things which brought them to where they are now. The past is being called to testify that the Lord did these things to Israel and to no other. This was so, verse 35 going on, that you might know that the Lord himself is God. The words are again emphatic. La da'at ki Yehovah hu. Ha Elohim, that you might know that Jehovah, He, the God. As your Bible failed to put an article before the word God, 
please pen it in and give your translation one demerit in the margin. I guarantee your Bible doesn't have the word thee there. This is the whole point of the Lord contrasting himself to the other gods. And it is why the term a God should have been used in the previous verses. Any other God is a false God. None has done what Jehovah has done. Therefore, Jehovah, he is the God. He did these things so that Israel, it is again the second person singular, would know that he alone is God. By extension, then, his identification with, protection of, and continued faithfulness to them is so that all the world will know that he, Jehovah, is the God. Once again, is everybody seeing this? The world today has to acknowledge the truth that there is one God because he has put Israel back in the land. They want to deny this, but inside they know that this is true. This is the point of these emphatic words that Moses is speaking 3,500 years ago to the people of the world. Their faithfulness or their unfaithfulness to him has no bearing on who he is. But his faithfulness to them is for the specific and particular purpose of demonstrating to all that he is God. And verse 35 continues, there is none other beside him. Ein od milbado, none other beside him. That there is one God can be logically determined without knowing who that God is. The 12 first principles logically and undeniably demonstrate this. If you don't remember them, go back and watch the Genesis 1-1 sermon, and that'll brush you up on it. But just because a person can logically think that through, as Aristotle did, it does not mean that he knows this God, except as can be perceived through what he has created. But God can, and he has specifically revealed himself in various ways. Here in Deuteronomy 4, he has shown us one of those ways. It is through Israel and what he has done for and through them. Such things have not been seen in any other nation. Israel was to know this, and they were to then understand that there was, in fact, no God besides him. Verse 36, out of heaven he let you hear his voice. Min Hashemayim, from the heavens. The idea is that the people looked up, but the sounds did not come from any discernible place. They heard the voice, saw the fire, but could not discern the location of where the voice came from. This was so, verse 36 continues, that he might instruct you. Here the word yasar, or instruct, is used. It comes from a primitive root signifying to chastise. Thus it usually gives the sense of punishment for corrective instruction. The terror of hearing the voice of God was intended to do just this. The instruction is multi-layered. He instructed them in the law. He instructed them in seeing that he had no discernible form, and thus he was not to be worshipped through any created thing. He instructed them that he was above them, and yet he was willing to speak to them without destroying them. He instructed them that he is, because a voice comes from somewhere and words convey intelligence and meaning. Such things as these, and certainly many more, were provided for their instruction. Further, verse 36 continues, On earth he showed you his great fire, and you heard his words out of the midst of the fire. Ve'al ha'aretz, and on the earth. In Exodus 20:18, it said, Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke, because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Fire consumes, and fire destroys. 
the manifestation was to instruct the people that the Lord is a consuming fire and that they were to heed him. And yet, it was also to instruct them that he could contain the fire as well. It extended to where he wished it to go, but it could be contained, signifying restraint and even mercy. Also, the fire extended from the earth to the heavens. It was a demonstration that Jehovah is not limited to one aspect of his creation. As it says in Genesis 1 verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He is transcendent over his creation. He can manifest himself nowhere in it, or he can manifest himself in one location or another in it, or he can extend himself between locations as he did at Sinai. Despite manifesting himself, however, the source of the voice could not be determined because it was enveloped in the midst of the fire. All of this was for the instruction of Israel, but it was based upon his faithfulness to those who came before them. Verse 37, and because he loved your fathers, they tahat ki ahav et avotecha, and instead, because he loved your fathers. The word tahat means under, and thus signifying instead. The idea is that when one comes under another, he replaces the one that he comes under. Thus, this is referring to Egypt. Israel was in the midst of Egypt, a people greater and more numerous than Israel. But the Lord chose Israel instead of Egypt to display himself to the world. It is reflective of Paul's words to those at Corinth. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty and the base things of the world. Y'all think of yourself as base because this is the lesson we're learning. We are the lowest of all people and God is using us for a reason. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. The Lord chose the underdog, meaning Israel, to display his glory. But more than that, it was because of his love for their fathers, meaning Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He had made the covenant promises to them, and he would fulfill them through Israel. As Moses says, verse 37 going on, therefore he chose their descendants after them. And he chose in his seed after him. The word seed is singular. The fathers had other descendants at times. Abraham had another wife after Sarah died. He had concubines. He had children from all of them. But it is this particular seed in this particular line that was chosen by God to reveal himself in this unique way. Interestingly, a verse parallel to this is seen in Deuteronomy 10 verse 15. But there the word seed and the pronouns in the verse are all plural. The Lord delighted only in your fathers to love them, and he chose their descendants after them, you above all peoples as it is this day. The interchange of the singular and plural throughout these verses is complicated, but it is purposeful. It shows minute specificity, which is sadly overlooked by almost all translations. 
Moses is making theological points about the people who are Israel and about those people of whom Israel is comprised. In this clause, we can see that Israel was specifically chosen in this selection. The Lord set them apart from all others. This thought was seen in our text verse today where Paul speaks of Israel's gifts and calling being irrevocable. The same thought is seen later in Deuteronomy. Here it says in Deuteronomy 32, remember the days of old, consider the years of many generations, ask your father and he will show you, your elders and they will tell you. When the Most High divided their inheritance to the nations, when he separated the sons of Adam, he set the boundaries of the peoples according to the number of the children of Israel, for the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the place of his inheritance. Samuel repeated this during the time of the judges. Then Samuel said to the people, Do not fear. You have done all this wickedness, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And do not turn aside, for then you would go after empty things which cannot profit or deliver, for they are nothing. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you his people. The same thought is found throughout the Old Testament. The Lord was and remains, according to Paul, unwilling to reject Israel, even when they had forsaken him. It is his honor that is tied up in the preservation of this people, even to this day. Though there is overlap in the Lord's way of dealing with the church, it does not negate his continued faithfulness to Israel. But that is the classic and appalling error made by replacement theologians. Verse 37 continues, And he has brought you out of Egypt with his presence, with his mighty power. Here it literally says, in his face. Thus it means he personally went with them and led them out of Egypt. It was also a promise given to Moses in Exodus 33, where the Lord said, My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Israel did not come out alone, but rather they had the presence of the Lord with them. They had his great power to guide them, feed them, sustain them, and ensure they would make it to their final destination. As Exodus 33 says that their final destination is being granted their rest, it is a promise that must come to pass. However, the book of Hebrews, way, way, way towards the end of the Bible, tells us that Israel did not enter its rest neither at the time of Joshua, nor at the time of David. As this is so, then the rest which is promised to them, and which is realized in their collectively coming to Jesus, is yet ahead of them, even today. I'm telling you, in theology, one plus one will always equal two. If you dismiss what Moses says, you can come up with any crazy theology you want. But if you read what he says and you keep it in its context, Israel today, disobedient as they are, are God's people. They are waiting again to be his people. They're his by name. They will be his again after the church, which is currently his people, are taken out. We have to remember these things. This is certain because Exodus 33 says, I will go with you, plural, and I will give you, singular, rest. The Lord will continue to go with the people of Israel until the people are given rest. At the time of Moses' words now, he says the Lord has been, verse 38, driving out from you, before you, nations greater and mightier than you, to bring you in, to give you their land as an inheritance as it is this day. It is the Lord who accomplished the act. 
He was the one who gained the victory for Israel over Sihon and Og, the Amorite kings dwelling east of the Jordan. Despite their great size and strength, they were dispossessed or disinherited from the land so that Israel could then possess it as an inheritance. And because of this, all of these great wonders which the Lord had displayed before Israel, Moses again implores them, verse 39, therefore know this day and consider it in your heart. The Hebrew is much more expressive. Ve'yadata hayom va'hashoveta el levavecha. And know this day and return it to your heart. The people are to consider everything that they had seen and then been reminded of, and they were then to take that knowledge and return it to their heart. As always, the heart in the Bible is the seat of reasoning and understanding. Therefore, it is like saying, think it through and then tuck it away in the back of your mind. They were never to forget this. By returning it to their heart, they could contemplate it continuously. So Israel was to do with the knowledge, verse 39 continues, that the Lord himself is God. The same emphatic form is brought forth again. Ki Yehovah Hu Ha Elohim. For Yehovah, He, the God. Again, there is an article before the word God. The emphatic he, along with the highlighted nature of Jehovah being the God, is intended to reveal his uniqueness. Be sure to put the article before God in your Bible and be sure to make a one demerit margin note so that you know in the future that that translation was incorrect. The uniqueness of Jehovah continues to be highlighted again in the next clause as he is the God, verse 39 continues, in heaven above and on the earth beneath. In the heavens from above and on the earth from under. It is an important statement to include. In verse 36, it said that the Lord spoke out of the heavens and that on the earth he showed forth his great fire. He is not limited to any part of his creation. He fills any and all of creation without distinction. And he can manifest himself in any way he chooses, such at Sinai. If someone said the stars from the heavens were gods, that would be false. If someone said the volcanoes from the earth were gods, that would be false. I know you think that's stupid for me to say that, but guess what they do in Hawaii? They worship, what is it, Poipoi or something like that, the god of the volcano. All right, I can't remember name. It begins with a P, but I'm including these words here for you so you understand that what the nations of the world do are not what Israel is to do. Such things will be seen as we progress through Scripture. But Israel is being instructed now that these things are false. And yet, they will be the downfall of Israel numerous times because they failed to pay heed to what Moses is now telling them. There is one God, and verse 39 continues, there is no other Ain od, no other. The word od signifies continuance or going around. It is widely translated as again, more, yet, still, else, and so on. There was none, there are none still, and none will be coming around. Jehovah is God and he alone. Verse 40, you shall therefore keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today. This verse returns to the opening verse of the chapter substantially repeating it, but it has now been supported with the reason it is to be so from these previous verses. Now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the judgments which I teach you to observe, that you may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers is giving you. 
Moses has methodically given precise reasons why they are to keep the Lord's law. These reasons were summed up with the thought that Jehovah is God and he alone. As this is so, then he is to be obeyed as such. He has chosen his people. He has revealed himself to them. He has made the promises to them in the land that they are going to enter. He has given them warnings for disobedience. And Moses has shown that what has occurred is unique in all of the history of the world. God has come to be among a particular people, and they are thus expected to be obedient to his law. In this, Moses says, verse 40 continues, that it may go well with you and with your children after you. The word translated as that is ma'an. We've seen it before. It speaks of a purpose or intent. Moses shows that obedience to his command isn't simply just an authoritarian edict by a tyrant, but that it will serve a good and noble purpose, which is that it will go yatav, or pleasing for them. The Lord intends that the people will prosper if they are attentive to him, and if they do as he instructs. The implication is that if they are not obedient, things will go contrary to them, and they will suffer a self-inflicted wound in the process. Moses then explains what go well with you and your children after you means by saying, verse 40 finishes with, and that you may prolong your days in the land which the Lord your God is giving you for all time. The people are, as we have seen before, tied to the land, meaning Canaan. By observing what the Lord commands, they will continue in the land. The implication is that if they do not, then they will be taken out of the land. It doesn't need to be said to be understood. Despite that, however, Moses finishes the section with the words, Kal ha yamim, or all the days. There is no qualifier to the land grant. It is given to Israel forever. The qualifier is not in whether the land is theirs, but whether they can live in it. It is the Lord who determines if the agreement is sufficiently met by Israel. When Israel is obedient, they may live in the land. When Israel is disobedient, they may not live in the land. Either way, the land is the Lord's, and he has given it to Israel as a possession forever. Tell me that has not played out perfectly throughout human history. Exactly as the Lord said is exactly the way it has turned out. What has been seen and what will continue to be seen is that the law actually points to its own replacement. Israel was never obedient to the law, and they retained the land for an extended period of time before they were finally exiled. Israel was returned to the land according to the Lord's calculations of giving the land rest during Israel's exile, 70 years. They returned and remained disobedient to the Lord throughout that time as well. Eventually, Christ came and fulfilled the law, an act intended to give Israel life, but they rejected that and were exiled again. They have been returned again, and they are promised seven more years to find an end to the Mosaic Covenant in Christ. The time of that seven final years is not far off. Eventually, it will come. To be obedient to the laws laid out here by Moses means to be obedient to them all. We are progressing through Deuteronomy, and we will see how this will be possible for them. Suffice it to say that their observance of the law in order to be right with God has nothing to do with their own efforts, but in trusting the Lord who gave the law to them in the first place. Until that happens, the prospect of things going well for them and prolonging their days in the land cannot come to pass, but it will. 
some wonderful day after much hardship and suffering, it will come to pass. For those of us who have understood what Israel missed, we have a marvelous hope set before us. The Lord is coming for his people to deliver them from what lies ahead. He has a home prepared for his people and the rest which we entered when we received Jesus will be realized in its fullness. It is a blessed hope. If it is something you have not yet received, I promised you about 40 minutes ago that I would tell you, you can do it today, even right now. The simple gospel is that Jesus Christ died for your sins, implying that you are a sinner. If you deny that you have committed sin in your life, I don't think I can help you. But that's the purpose of Christ's coming, is that there is an infinite gap between you and the Creator. He is infinite. He is outside of time, having created it. And we are in the stream of time, and we're going this way. I sinned at this point in my life, and guess what? I can't go back and undo it. That is an infinite gap for us. We will be forever separated from the Creator. Not because He hates us. He wouldn't have sent Christ if He hated us. It's because He is just. He is righteous. He is holy. And He cannot tolerate sin. Any sin infects the human person. One sin is all it takes. I can't go and undo it. And worse than that is Adam already sinned. And we're born into Adam. And so we're all condemned already, according to John 3.18. There's nothing we need to do to be cast into the pit of hell. Nothing. But God loves us so much that he made this plan of redemption before he created a single Adam. And he put it into motion, promising it in Genesis 3.15 and all the way through the Bible. That plan of redemption is given to show us Jesus Christ. That's the central point of all of Scripture is Jesus Christ. He came and he fulfilled this impossible law that nobody in Israel could fulfill. And no, we're not under the law as Gentiles, but we will be judged by that standard anyway because he embodies that law. Christ is the standard and we cannot measure up, but he did it for us. And then he gave that perfect life up in exchange for our sins. And he says, if you just believe, if you just simply believe, I will save you. That's all that Jesus asks us to do. His life was given. He was raised to prove that he is God. Believe in that gospel message and you will be saved. That is my hope for you today. I have a closing verse for you from Isaiah 44. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. And who can proclaim as I do? Then let him declare it and set it in order for me, since I appointed the ancient people and the things that are coming and shall come. Let them show these to them. Do not fear nor be afraid. Have I not told you from that time and declared it? You are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? Indeed, there is no other rock. I know not one. The whole purpose of Israel is to testify to the glory of God. If God were to reject Israel, it would diminish his glory in the eyes of the people of the world. Don't ever believe anybody that says that the church has replaced Israel. That is very poor theology. It's understandable up until a certain point in history because Israel was so dispersed around the nations that there was a Jew here and a Jew there and nobody ever thought that the land would be productive again or that the people would be back in the land making it productive again. But now that is behind us. And all we needed to do is do what Adam Clark and John Gill and these other scholars even hundreds of years ago did is simply believe the Bible. Even at the time when it was impossible to believe, they believed. What kind of a reward do you think they're going to get for that? I mean, we see Israel in the land. We see it. It's so easy to just say, yeah, the Lord has done these great things. But what about those men? They believed beyond hope 
they believe the word of God. That is, that is real faith in the word. Next week is Deuteronomy 4, it's verses 41 through 49. Places of safety for anyone, including Steve, Tom, or even Gordon. It's entitled, On the East Side of the Jordan. That'll be our 18th Deuteronomy sermon. And the Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has a good plan and a purpose for you. But he also has expectations of you as he prepares you for entrance into his land of promise. And so follow him and trust him and he will do marvelous things for you and through you, okay? Now, before we get into our poem, I have two things. First, I'm gonna do something completely different in sermon typing tomorrow. I'm not gonna tell you, but I'm going to do it. And it's based on something that Sergio and I are working on. So I would ask for prayers for sermon typing tomorrow because it's completely different than what I'm doing in Deuteronomy. We're gonna take a very short break, in other words, and I need your prayers on that particular issue. All right, um, the second thing is that a few minutes ago, I said that Israel is promised seven more years under the Mosaic Covenant. Where is that explicitly stated in the Bible? Not Revelation. If Revelation does say there's it's 42 months and 1260 days, which if you add them together, they make seven years because it's what? Daniel what? Daniel chapter 9. Verses 24 through 27. Let's read it so you don't ever forget it. Good job, though. She got it. Here's a Maserati for you. Here, let me rev it up for you. All right, there it goes. Look at those wheels spinning. Okay, hang on a sec here. We're going to go to Daniel 9, 24 through 27. These are the most important three verses in the Bible for understanding the prophetic timeline. If you don't get this right, you will be wrong in your theology. Anybody that's wrong about the rapture, anybody that's wrong about uh, Israel, anybody that's wrong about any of those type of things is wrong because they failed to get Daniel 9, 24 through 27 correct. If you're a mid-tribber, you're wrong. If you're a post-tribber or an amillennialist or any of those other things, you are wrong, and it's based on these verses. Here it goes, 24, 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Three bad things, three good things. That's 70 weeks or 70 periods of seven years. A week is seven, okay? So it's 70 periods of 77 years, okay? Verse 25, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublesome times. So you have seven weeks and 62 weeks and you wonder why did he divide it up that way? The reason why is because, it, which by the way, before I say that, seven weeks plus 62 is 69 weeks. Okay, so you've got 69 of those 70 weeks done when Messiah the Prince comes. Well, the reason why it's divided up is because there is what's known as the intertestamental period, 430 years where no prophetic writings were written. And so that's why he divided it that way. Anyway, um, uh, verse 26, and after the 62 weeks, after the 62 weeks, doesn't say that the 7-7 the seven seven is going on. There's like a gap there. Everybody got that? After the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. That means he will die for the sins of the world. Okay, and the people of the prince who is to come, the prince who is to come is not with the people who are coming. Understand it. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Who destroyed the city and the sanctuary? The Romans. The prince to come, I don't care what anybody tells you about the coming Antichrist, will be a Roman. 
He will be in the Roman Empire. Okay, that is explicit. We don't need to go anywhere else with this, okay? And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. He may not actually be a Roman, but he will be from the Roman Empire. My guess is he'll be a Roman because that's the people who came. They were in charge. All right. Anyway, we'll just go on with that. Shall destroy the city and sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood until the end of the war. Desolations are determined. So there's this gap in here. 69 sevens have been performed. Messiah was cut off. And all of a sudden there's this gap. It could be a day. It could be 2,000 years. A gap to God doesn't make any difference because a day to the Lord is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. Where is that recorded? I'll give you another Maserati. What's that? What Peter? One Peter or two Peter? No. Anybody else? Second Peter. Good job. Two Peter uh, 3, 8, I think it is. Two Peter 3, 8 and uh, uh, Psalm 90, verse 4. Okay, Psalm 94. Okay, 2 Peter 3, 8, Psalm 94. Okay, then he, that guy that we were just referring to, now, this is a dividing line. This is the most important, uh, what do you call it, uh, 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 pronoun. This is the most important pronoun that you will have in all of Scripture to tell you the future. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. It's either Jesus or the Antichrist, and that's a big difference, isn't it? Okay, but we have one week left. I can tell you this. I'll give you a hint. It isn't Jesus. Okay? Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. That's the seven years of tribulation. All right? But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. Well, it take a while to get through all of those and what it means, but it means that the Antichrist is coming. He is going to sign a seven-year peace deal, Two Thessalonians says that we're not going to know who the Antichrist is. Hence, the rapture is pre-tribulation. If you don't get this verse right, right here, you are going to get your eschatology wrong. It is going to be wrong. Right there is all you need to understand everything else as long as you keep it in this context. This was written first and for a reason, and it deals with I-S-R-A-E-L, Israel. Okay? Got a poem here for you. There is none other. For us now concerning the days that are past, which were before you, since the day that God created man on the earth by his spoken word, and ask from one end of heaven to the other whether any great thing like this has happened or anything like it has been heard. Did any people ever hear the voice of God? If so, please their name to me give, speaking out of the midst of the fire, as you have heard and live. Or did God ever try to go and take for himself a nation from the midst of another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders? Please to me a prize. By war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and by great terrors, according to all that the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? To you it was shown that you might know, you and not another, that the Lord himself is God. There is besides him none other. Out of heaven he let you hear his voice, that he might instruct you. To obedience you should aspire. On earth he showed you his great fire, and you heard his words out of the midst of the fire. And because he loved your fathers, therefore he chose their descendants after them. And he brought you out of Egypt with his presence, with a mighty power he brought Egypt mayhem, driving out from before you nations greater and mightier than you to bring you in, to give you their land as an inheritance, as it is this day. His words are faithful and true. Therefore, know this and consider it in your heart that the Lord himself is God. In heaven above and on the earth beneath, there is no other 
anything else is a fraud. You shall therefore keep his statutes and his judgments, which I command you today, that it may go well with you. All will be sublime and with your children after you, and that you may prolong your days in the land which the Lord your God is giving you for all time. Lord God, turn our hearts to be obedient to your word. Give us wisdom to be ever faithful to you. May we carefully heed each thing we have heard. Yes, Lord God, may our hearts be faithful and true. And we shall be content and satisfied in you alone. We will follow you as we sing our songs of praise. Hallelujah to you, to us, your path you have shown. Hallelujah. We shall sing to you for all of our days. Hallelujah and amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for the lesson of Israel. It's so wonderful to know that we can trust you in the new covenant because you are faithful and continue to be faithful to them in the old covenant. Christ gave up his life and he shed his blood for us. What else could we ever expect except eternal salvation when we call to you? Thank you for that promise. Thank you that we know it with all certainty and that we don't need to worry about replacement theology. We don't need to worry about Israel being banned forever or that we are somehow now Israel living out the promises that were made to them. How inappropriate that is when we see your word as it's given by Moses. Thank you for the surety we possess and the surety that Israel possesses. And may they today call on you by the bucket load and be saved before the time of the tribulation comes. Lord, we pray this, that they will know you and that they will glorify you for who you are. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, oh, it's uh, two Thessalonians. You have to you have to watch the video because it, it it's laid out. It's not just one verse, but it's laid out. And I can send you that link and and uh, if you want that, send me an email and say I want to know the timeline of the rapture, or just type in Superior Word timeline of the rapture and it'll come up. Yeah, that's that's simple.